Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, we'll be looking at the evolution of psychotherapy. My guest is Dr. Paul J. Leslie, a psychotherapist in private practice in Aiken, South Carolina, and also a psychology professor at Aiken College. He is the author of several books about psychotherapy, including The Art of Creating a Magical Session, Key Elements to Transformative Psychotherapy. His other books include Low Country Shamanism and Potential, Not Pathology, Helping Your Clients Transform Using Ericksonian Psychotherapy, and my favorite book, Shadows in the Session, The Presence of the Anomalous in Psychotherapy. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Jeff, and sincerely, this is an honor to be with you. Well, I am delighted to have you here. Thank you for making the journey to Albuquerque. It's my pleasure, and, and it's a great town to uh, to have this kind of discussion. Yeah. Well, you, you know, psychotherapy is, I guess, to put it fairly, is a mixed bag. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as you pointed out to me today, the profession of psychotherapy is in, uh, although it's had enormous cultural influence, it's in the decline. Yeah, it's... Uh, the amount of research that uh, goes into uh, finding what works in psychotherapy is uh, continues uh, is is very um, uh, massive, but yet our clients seem to be seeking our uh, services less and less. And I was uh, was telling you, even at a, a recent uh, conference, one of my colleagues, who's a preeminent expert in psychotherapy outcomes said that uh, a lot of people are moving away from psychotherapy and yet the psychic uh, field, a psychic medium field, the, the, more people are, are seeking that in, mm -hmm. in place of that. And in a way, it's, uh, it's a little disturbing for a field that I think has shown that it is effective. Empirically, psychotherapy as a whole is, helps people alleviate emotional suffering. Well, um, when we think about the evolution of psychotherapy, of course, everybody has heard of Freud and right. Jung and the behaviorists yeah. and so on. But it strikes me that maybe the most significant fact affecting contemporary psychotherapy is the uh, insurance industry. Oh, yeah. Um, th th this is the, a classic example of the good and the bad right. coexisting. The good... Uh, in that m most people seek psychotherapy using their insurance here, at least here in the United States. Um, what has happened, unfortunately, is that in order to, for practitioners to get paid, uh, by the insurance companies, sometimes that they have to, uh, diagnose, if not sometimes all the time, diagnose in, uh, what we call the medical model. And this medical model is that psychotherapy is the cure to the person's suffering. And that's a, that's a helpful way to see that. And, and again, psychotherapy has, has long been shown empirically it can be helpful. But it also, uh, being in a medical model limits the practitioner's ability to meet the needs of the individual client. 
plus the whole field of uh, what is described as evidence-based therapies uh, have uh, kind of focused on just a handful of therapies that uh, some insurance companies will even uh, acknowledge government agencies uh, will even mandate practitioners only use certain therapies and techniques. The problem is that uh, as, as one of my mentors said, he's never worked with a theory. He's always worked with a client. And when we uh, kind of limit ourselves that we can only do one or two things, we're forgetting that human beings are so vast or so complex that not just one thing's going to work with, with everyone. Now, uh, the, the research that has come out has shown even the APA, the American Psychological Association, back in 2006, I think it was, task force showed that each uh, individual uh, needs to be treated that way, essentially. But yet, uh, the industry of, of insurance and, and, and uh, funding wants um, everyone to kind of fit into this box. Mm. And we often overlook the, the needs of somebody who might not need uh, a, a cognitive intervention. They may need something else, or someone else may need a cognitive intervention and not need something else. So it, it, it's, it's oftentimes our, our hands as practitioners uh, get tied well, psychotherapy started out uh, using a Freudian model. I right. suppose it's fair to say. That. I know there were precursors to Freud. Certainly. There was, of course, uh, 100 years of mesmerism right. yes. uh, long before Freud, maybe 200 years, <laughs> actually. But um, it, it became talk therapy. It became... Right. Uh, two people in a room together, sometimes in chairs, sometimes mm -hmm. the client would be on a couch, right. and and it would be uh, talking for an hour. Yeah, yeah. Now, now it's evolved quite a bit since those days. Yeah, we we uh, don't see too many couches unless you're seeing couples and families. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who still do the the traditional psychodynamic free association on on the the uh, the couch. But now uh, we since we are in uh, managed care and think, you know, certain things have to be met quickly. Oh, this person has this disorder. You better better fix it. And this, this is the only number of visits we're going to pay. So any type of long-term in-depth therapy is, is rather suspect. The good news is it has made uh, practitioners more effective because we've had to be because, you know, when the, when the sessions run out, generally most people are not going to pay out of pocket if they're wanting to rely on their insurance. But uh, somewhere in between the, the beginnings of psychotherapy and where we are today, it's uh, we, I, I, and this is just my opinion, I think we've lost our way, is that we have separated uh, ourselves from being psychotherapists as healers. And, and regardless of what theoretical orientation a therapist does, I think if they can think of themselves first and foremost as a psychological healer, uh, it changes the dynamic. So if you need someone to lie on a couch, if that's what they need, if you're the healer, that's what you do rather than look to some other authority figure to tell you the best way to do it. But you know, the, the, the lights gotta stay on, the, the, uh, the office rent has to be paid. So unfortunately, we, we get in, um, this, this bind that a lot of people struggle with who aren't, might not be able to do just a cash pay mm. practice. But yeah, we have evolved a long way from, from, uh, Freud through 
the behaviorist behavior therapy where, where Freud thought, thought uh, all the problems were due to these unconscious drives of past traumas and uh, repressed uh, uh, sexuality and aggression. Then we got to the behaviorist and the behavior model of uh, therapy in which the patterns that we've learned just need to be changed and, and, and altered. And there's no real need to even worry about an unconscious. And if it's not, just call it a habit. You just have a habit. It's not an unconscious. There's not those interpsychic forces uh, going on. So you just, it's almost like you're a robot. You just take it out, put it in the, the new program, which uh, sometimes I, I wonder, that would be so easy. That would be great. Um, and then we moved into the realm of uh, the cognitive therapies. Uh, people like, I know you, you interviewed uh, many years ago, Albert Ellis, who and was... his wife, Debbie, yeah, as well, more yeah. recently. Yes. Oh, yeah, Debbie. I know Debbie, a wonderful lady. Uh -huh. um, it, 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 it's remarkably effective that your thoughts uh, are the catalyst for everything else, your emotions and your behaviors. And the, the, the realm of the humanistic therapies, where unconditional positive regard and, and uh, self-worth were... Uh, and, and, and then it seems like uh, the, we started losing some steam right at that time when these wonderful family therapies were coming out. It's almost like in the 80s we started getting kind of a backward to where it's it's became very mechanical and, and, and standardized. And a lot of what, it, like in my book, uh, The Art of Creating a Magical Session, a lot of the magic that that happens between two people when they're really engaged has taken a back seat to the technique or the theory or the the, the an outside authority saying how you should do mm -hmm. treatment. There's a, a sense in which many therapists consider themselves technicians. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and when you use the word healer, I think that would rub some therapists the wrong way. It might, they might be embarrassed because of the associations to that world with spiritual healers. Yeah, exactly. Um, I heard someone uh, say one time that uh, psychotherapy is the youngest folk healing tradition. Mm -hmm. And if it's a folk healing tradition, uh, you know, I think it's totally fine to think of ourselves as healers, but you're right. It's how it's marketed. If someone says, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I'm a healer. And they instantly think, okay, so you must be like either a massage therapist or a uh, Reiki master or all these litany of, mm -hmm. you know, and then when you say, well, I, I'm a psychotherapist or I'm a counselor or a social worker, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't quite fit. Well, I, I'm arguing that it should fit because that's what we're doing. But, you know, if you were to try and uh, collect from an insurance company as a healer, <laughs> it wouldn't go too far, no, would no, it? No, no, that's a, It'd be bounced back uh, at the speed of light, right? Yeah. And, and, and when you put down the interventions you use, it might be a good idea to not say that you were doing Reiki and uh, or any of the uh, the more esoteric mm -hmm. treatments. And now I'm not endorsing any of those nor putting any of those down. I'm just saying that if if the perspective of our profession is that we are trying to be almost like a, a medical, as we mentioned, the medical model that we're we're doctors of the of the mind. That's a different to me. That's a different way to see uh, this this whole profession rather than healers of the mind mm -hmm. and healers of the heart. Uh, you are right. Uh, I'm afraid, my friend, it does rub some people wrong. But I still, and just my experience, and this is anecdotal, but the people I talk to about this, yeah. when they say, when I say you're healers, they perk up and they they know intuitively. Mm -hmm. They know that's why I got in here. I wanted to, to learn to, to heal 
others, help others heal, make the world a better place, maybe even heal myself in the in the process. Well, to me, that's probably the cutting edge in psychotherapy. It's uh, clear in your book, and you've described other therapists mm-hmm. who begin to understand that they themselves are larger souls than uh, is traditionally allowed for in the cognitive behavioral uh, model. Mm-hmm. Use that term. Souls. Yeah. I, I recently came back from a conference and somebody used that term. And I remember sitting next to someone who got uncomfortable real quick even using that term. Now, you can, you can say soul and, and there's so many different connotations. Yeah. So uh, what I'm kind of seeing these days is we've kind of lost touch with our clients because we have pledged allegiance to our techniques and theories. When you say, if, if you and I were talking, and I know you used to practice, and you would say, how does, how does your soul feel about the situation? Nine out of ten clients would instantly tell you, and they go, you get me, Jeff, you get me, you know? Mm-hmm. But if we, we, we can't use certain terminology, we can't step into the, the client's world, uh, we have to stick almost, almost like we're, we're so separated uh, by our, our theories. We're losing touch with the magic. We're losing touch with the the healing ability that we have. And and you can use any, I believe, any technique and any theory, and still be a healer. So it's not not saying that you know, well, psychodynamics no good, and you know, I do strategic Ericksonian, and and that's the bad. I'm not saying that. I say, and the research shows. All of the major theories and techniques, when they're when you, you you take them all together, you do the major meta analysis, you control for everything, you find that those are not what causes change. Those all work, but that's not the one thing does more than the other. You know, when I graduated uh, with a B.A. or B.S. in psychology from the University of Wisconsin in 1969, I got hired right away to work at a mental health clinic uh-huh. uh, as what they called a mental health worker. And at right. that point in time, the research showed that the most effective therapists were these uh, young Kids right out of college, right, right. more effective than the psychologists and the psychiatrists and the psychiatric nurses even, be, because we were eager and, and right. we really get paid attention to the clients. Uh-huh. There was a, a interesting you say that there was a study. I think I'm just going to say in the mid 70s. I can't remember mm-hmm. the actual date. Is a, a researcher Henry Stroop mm-hmm. who took. Um, college students who had anxiety, depression, the, the kind of things that, that the college counselors and therapists routinely deal with. And he did in this study, he took people trained as therapists in one group and another group, uh, college professors, not psychology professors, just regular college professors, and had these students, uh, two groups of students go, one group went to the trained therapist, the other the untrained therapist. No difference in outcomes. Mm-hmm. They both were effective. And so when they were trying to figure out, <clears throat> pardon me, they were trying to figure out what was the, as Gregory Bateson said, what's the difference that makes the difference? It came down to both were present. 
Both were were uh, uh, eager to help, and uh, the college professors, uh, maybe just because there's also a position of authority, because they were professors, much in the way you go to the therapist, and even though you want an egalitarian relationship, you you expect this person to have some knowledge that you don't. So if there's no difference between these two groups, we as a field, uh, and this is back in the 70s. Now we're finding similar kind of things. Now we as a field need to say, okay. What, what are we missing? How do we become more effective? How do we uh, find out that difference that makes mm-hmm. a difference? Because honestly, if you can just go talk to a friend and feel better, um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've spent a lot of money on student loans over the years that I probably, I could have just been a friend, you know, just. <laughs> and, and I think that's the dilemma our profession is in. Well, let, let me step back and ask you a few questions. Sure. For example, uh, let's talk about who should go to therapy. Uh-huh. Well, I was taught in graduate school that everyone should go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody's got stuff. And we all have baggage. And we all have problems. And I agree with some of that. I think, yes, being human, as, as even your, as much as your experience, you today said, well, I'm a work in progress, too. Mm-hmm. And I think we all are that. But not everybody needs to go to therapy. And um, I think we find that people who need to go to therapy are those who feel they need to go to therapy. I mean, certainly we know folks who go, boy, th- they certainly could stand some therapy, right? Yeah. But uh, a lot of people might not benefit from going to therapy. They might actually benefit more from going to somebody who's a, a coach or their pastor or their priest. It just depends on the situation. Now, right now, there are going to be so many comments in the YouTube section from therapists probably wanting to kill me. But okay. stick with me, I'm telling everyone, because I, I still think we have something unique to offer that's important. I think there's a group of people who would benefit from therapy if, here's the thing, if they buy into therapy. That's mm-hmm. Those who are engaged in therapy come in a lot of times because they feel there's nowhere else to go. I have a running joke that I tell every, that you've gone to see everyone, even the witch doctor. And then after that, that didn't work. You come to therapy. You know, they, they're invested in it. And number two, they feel heard and respected uh, when they come in. Those are the type of people that, that should go to therapy. But if if it's for something that you don't believe in, in what the therapist is is offering or there's already an automatic bias against therapy, number one, that's a discussion we should have, but maybe there's an alternative thing. Somebody who it's a spiritual crisis. I can't say, and I hate to say this, yeah. Maybe going to your therapist might not, maybe your, your, uh, rabbi, your, your priest, that might be the, you know, if you're having a parenting issue, a marriage and family therapist may be better than going to a psychologist. You know, mm-hmm. again, it comes down to the individual, so it's hard to put it in a box. Well, there are so many different uh, lenses through which we can look at human transformation. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the major differences is um, between long-term psychodynamic therapy and uh, a whole variety of short-term therapies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there was such a, a battle for for many years between uh, the the brief therapies and the long-term therapy. We just kind of put them in those two categories. And the running joke uh, I heard one time, uh, the short-term therapies talking about the brief term, uh, I'm sorry, the long-term therapies. Uh, a guy goes to uh, uh, a friend of his and he says, I've been doing this psychoanalysis, which is Freud's uh, theory, and I've been doing it for 10 years. 
and I, I go uh, three times a week. And his friend goes, well, how that's go? how's that going? He said, uh, I don't feel any better, but I understand a whole hell of a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the, the view from the brief therapies. It's like, why are we getting into all this, what I call psychological archaeology, when we don't need to? And sometimes, and it's again my bias, yeah, we need to make it brief. But it depends on the person. Sometimes that person needs more long-term. Sometimes that person might want to explore their unconscious. If that's what it takes for them to feel and, and, and have some kind of proof in their mind that therapy is effective, that's what we have to do. We have forgot, our field has forgotten, uh, the client. Uh, there's a, there's a book written, uh, that I highly recommend, uh, called The Heroic Client for, for therapists, because it's like, put, the client is the one who does the change. We are just the, the catalyst for the change. It's, it's like, they have this inner healer that, in order to heal themselves, it's like they've been blocked. And all we're doing is just, unblocking them or, or, or showing them something and they take over. But when we feel our theory or our technique is, is the way that we heal people, uh, we keep having these divisions as opposed to well, who's the person in front of you, you know? Well, for the long-term therapists uh, would say that uh, you might get a temporary effect mm-hmm. from a brief uh, amount of therapy, but it won't last. Right. Unless you deal with the underlying problem, the problem will manifest again in, in some other form. Right, right. And, and that may be true. I have found a lot of times that's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, uh, as uh, some of my mentors have said, the problem is the problem, not what you think it may be, because uh, not... You know, you don't always have to, uh, you know, you have anxiety. It's, it might not always be because your mom breastfed you harshly when you were <laughs> a year mm-hmm. old. It may just be something that in the present mm-hmm. we can do. But to be fair, equal time, sometimes, uh, you know, those quick change fix, they work for a little while, and, and maybe you might need to have something more in depth. I'm under the impression that when it comes uh, to Jungian, dynamic uh, psychotherapy, which I'm very fond of. We have many representatives of the Jungian school here on the New Thinking Aloud channel, that it's really not so much a form of psychotherapy, but a form of uh, lifelong self-knowledge. I would 100% agree with that. I'm not a Jungian, but I've read a lot of Jung. And I think that it is for people who are at a time in their life that it is that when they need that type of intervention, that type of knowledge, that deep exploration, mm-hmm. and um, the idea that somebody who's trying to find the essence of who they are or, or or meaning in their life can always go to something real quick, I think is not good. But at the same time, if somebody just needs to, you know, learn how to uh, assert themselves more and have a little, they don't have to go and, you know, do uh, uh, in-depth uh, uh, imaginal work uh, with young. But again, if, if I am on a journey of self-discovery, Jungian uh, psychotherapy, uh, uh, might work as as one of my uh, teachers said. Young, he said, around fifty years old, you will develop more of an appreciation for Carl Jung uh, than you did before. And I'm, I'm close to that number. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think I, I have some uh, more um, 
um, empathy for for Jung's theories and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, it, it, it is. In the Middle Ages, there was this notion of the art of dying. And I think in, in some ways, Jung speaks to that. It's like helping people to prepare to meet their maker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and and if I can say this about Jung, because I don't want to take up too much time, because like you said, there's even more better authorities on Jung. When I read his book, uh, um, Memories, uh, Dreams, Dreams and, and Reflections, yeah, which is his, if people don't know, it's his autobiography. And it, I think that's the best place to start with mm-hmm. Young because it's this very uh, great narrative. And, and I'm reading this and I saw that this is a therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist that's so, uh, for lack of a better term, exposed himself to all these things that so many would turn away from. I mean, here's a guy who put on the page that he was having hallucinations and talking to Philemon, who was some, you know, a spirit guide of his, and then would go into the office and be a psychiatrist who was scientifically trained, and, and to walk in those two worlds and to just say that those two worlds even existed, even if I might not believe all the stuff, I find that was, from my perspective, here's a guy who is... is as he's going through his life, is liberating himself. And it's just a fascinating read. Mm-hmm. And he had a depth of, of humanity, too, I think, that people, uh, towards himself, too, that a lot of people uh, uh, kind of miss. Yeah. Well, a lot of people think that if you're going to achieve progress, like no pain, no gain, mm-hmm. it's got to ha- be a lot of hard work. It should take a long time. You shouldn't expect quick results. You really have to struggle. And I know... The pressure uh, from the insurance companies is in the opposite direction. They want quick results. And right. I think in, in your practice, you found that sometimes quick results are the best. Yeah. It, again, it depends on the person. But I have found that when we can connect a person to their inner resources, mm-hmm. they take, they, I mean, they take off. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the idea that it's, it's long and, it, and it's going to be painful the whole time. First of all, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't have a degree in marketing, but let's just say you're going to buy a product <laughs> and it's, this is going to hurt for a long time. Oh, it'll eventually get better. I'm like, do I really want to enter into to yeah. therapy? I have found in many occasions therapy can be tough, but it can also be fun. You probably can remember many of your clients you laughed with and you cried with and you connected. And it's this dynamic process that uh, I've seen people change in one session, have uh, uh, what my friend Courtney Armstrong calls the therapeutic aha, and and everything changes. But I've seen people that, I mean, I... I've worked with people for a couple of years, and, and they make progress, but it, it's not something that, that I wish it could be that one session. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always have to be painful, no. And I think uh, for some people, uh, because of th- their situation is relatively severe, they're barely hanging on. Oh, yeah. Just to have a therapist that they know is there that will listen to them, uh, they may need it for the rest of their life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually had a, a particular client that comes to mind who um, had a, a long-term chronic uh, mental health issue. And just the fact that she could come in and we could talk once a week or once every other week, it just kind of got the next week a little better mm-hmm. and, and can get through that week. And it really got to the point to where 
I saw her less and less, but she still had to had to come back because I, and I even tried at one point. I said, maybe I should refer you to somebody else, and she went and saw some. I said, oh, they were nice, but I just. I don't know. I just feel a connection with you. Mm-hmm. And so for many years until they moved away, uh, I, I, I saw them pretty regularly. Yeah, I would love to say stamp, cured, but to me that's not healing. Mm-hmm. What she, she needed was, and I'm gonna, gonna get killed here from the therapist, she needed a friend. Mm-hmm. And I had to keep a good boundary, but that, the friend is what healed. And, and because of her chronic condition, she couldn't connect with anyone. So just because she could have that one connection, that's what, what kept her going. And I hope, hope she's doing well today. You mm-hmm. know? There's a sense that we discussed earlier, the mm-hmm. distinction between um, the therapist as a healer and the therapist as a technician. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at some of the great therapists, uh, and I've been privileged to know a few yeah. and to have interviewed a few actually for this and also the original Thinking Aloud uh, series, they often, you know, the great pioneers in, ther- in therapy tend to violate the previous rules. Oh, yeah. And it, it's because they are being guided by something deep within themselves. Yeah. Most of the, the great therapists, to me, the if you take all their techniques and theories away, what they bring, what made them uh, special and unique is certainly they had to had their own angle, mm. the way they saw things, but they usually bring themselves. Yeah. Even the bad stuff that I'm not going to name names. You probably know a few of them that might not be the greatest people in the world as far as, you know, their personal lives and all. But when they're there, they're authentic. There, you, what you see is what you get. And I think the, the client picks up on people like that. So I'll give you an example I will name, uh, since we brought him up earlier, Albert Ellis. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone who's seen uh, uh, Al's work, he could be very profane at times. He was a New Yorker, and they dropped the F bomb, F word, every other word, and he could see almost like badgering people. Mm-hmm. But if you really step back, when he's in his prime and watch, here's a guy who was so relentless to help you get your goal of ending your suffering. So on the outside, it looks like, you know, he's, oh, he's being such a jerk and he's really bad. But mm-hmm. that that person sat there and that person got something out of it and that, con- uh, that connection. And because Al was himself. Yep. He was himself. Fritz Perls. Uh, it was a lot of uh, uh, interesting things about him personally. But when he was working, he was authentic. You, you got the sense that what you see is what you get. Carl Rogers, who was Mr. Warmth and Connection, that's a lot of, of who he mm-hmm. was. And uh, But that's not what we're taught. That's what's so funny. That's not what we're taught to do. I don't know how you were trained, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, keep, keep the wall. You know, smile when you do. Kind of as much of a blank slate. And... Uh, People spot a phony, Mm -hmm. and our clients do. Well, I had the privilege of interviewing uh, a few of the greats, Virginia Satir being one of them. And I remember so distinctly at one point she looked at me and she said, I just love people. Yeah. And and it rang so true. Yeah. And when you're around somebody like that, you can be, you know, just in their aura to, to use a paranormal term, right, and, right. And, and it rubs off. On the other hand, I interviewed a very different person, uh, great therapist, Rollo May, yes. one of the founders of mm-hmm. existential mm-hmm. psychotherapy, 
And I remember reading his book, Love and Will. Yeah. And uh, at, when I finished the book, I was in tears. Yeah. That's and great. I realized this is a man who struggled with his own depression. Yeah. And what made him such a good therapist is that he had done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he always brought himself mm-hmm. to his sessions. And I know the interview because I've watched that interview that you did with him. And he brought himself to the interview. Yeah. And now, again, it, it, there's always good boundaries and ethics and, and all. But... That ability to be so present and the flaws. But again, our greatest challenges, personally, I believe sometimes can make us uh, better therapists. And I, uh, I've gone through some really, for me, some tough times. And with there's enough, you, you're driving and, and you're looking in the rear view and you see it in the back. And, and then you realize where you're going forward it's still back there, but because mm-hmm. you've gone through that, uh, you, you can have maybe more empathy for somebody who's suffering because you've suffered. Yep. It's like uh, some some folks say the best uh, uh, addictions counselors are sometimes people who've been through that. Mm-hmm. There may be some arguments about that because maybe uh, they'll be like, well, I got through this. You should do what I do. But yet they have a level of understanding that, that you know, non-addicts uh, may never have. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're also a role model. Thing. I, I did it. I got over my addiction. So can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 that's it. We we have to be okay with our uh, fallible human self. Maybe to sometimes be that role model. Uh, I remember I, ha- I have a, a mentor who is a wonderful, wonderful uh, therapist, and and is very well known. And uh, I was going through a divorce. And I talked to him, and, and he just, I'm sorry to hear that. And he just started telling me about some of the crazy things that happened during his divorce. And I realized how healing that was to hear that from, from my mentor. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I wonder sometimes if, I mean, we have, we have to be careful with self-disclosure and not disclose too much. We don't make the session about ourselves. But being that human that sometimes a little self-disclosure like, I can understand how you're feeling. I once had a situation. That can be a, a tremendous connection that if we never had this, I'll just say, bad stuff happen to us, we might not be able to connect at that level. Now, thinking of the evolution of psychotherapy, it strikes me that one of the big changes has has been the Internet. And yes. People who, you know, conduct therapy sessions over the Internet. Yeah. That is that is the big thing now. And I think the little bit of research I've read on it, the outcomes are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, are they good because it's the Internet or are they good because it's the therapist? Are they good because it's the client and therapist, a co-creative process? Do we have to have a, a, a person-to-person? Now, I'm 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 an old man. I feel like I should have been born a hundred years ago. So technology is not always my strongest. I enjoy the the across looking at someone, but I have colleagues who are doing uh, not just uh, um, online face to you know where they like Skype and those things, but also uh, uh, over the phone, mm-hmm. and they're they're getting uh, good results. Now I'm I'm hearing about uh, text therapy to where you're having a bad day, you can text your your therapist, and your therapist can text mm-hmm. you. Uh, there's, uh, I read there was some uh, uh, therapists who were doing on-demand therapy. So you, anytime you want, you can text your therapist and you pay like, I don't know, like a monthly fee or something. It's kind of like fast food. You can just have it whenever you want. You know? <laughs> I haven't seen any research on that, but you, you're right. But then here's my question. 
It's just coming to, come to me as we're talking. Since technology, with all the wonderful things, also has the drawback because we, we are becoming more isolated yeah. emotionally, is this a way for to bring the emotion to that? Or is this, in, you know... Right. Is it a solution yeah. or is it part of the problem? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and one might say the same thing with uh, other technologies, biofeedback, right. audio-visual stimulation right. approaches uh, to therapy. At, at this point, it's like... Uh, Attempts to define how to transform human beings are are going in every imaginable direction. Right, right. Well, it's just like in, in an everyday in one's office, your two o'clock appointment may be somebody who's been through you know living hell and horrible traumas. Your three o'clock could be the the middle-aged uh, woman who the children have left and she's got her college degree and she wants to get back in the workplace and anxious about that. Your four o'clock could be somebody who's hearing things that no one else can hear. And, uh, so when we have such a wide variety of, of the, uh, those kind of, of, of people we interact, maybe that whole of drawing from different technology, different, you know, it's, maybe it's the same kind of thing. One person who might do well typing away, uh, texting away would do terrible sitting across. Yeah. But then the, another person may just need to just sit in your presence and just hear you say, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Paul, I, I know uh, since you're here in Albuquerque, we're going to have several other discussions. You've really looked extensively into the anomalists, yes. uh, into shamanism, uh, and uh, the role of, uh, I'll call it the paranormal mm -hmm. in, in psychotherapy. Uh, I'm very eager to have those conversations with you, but I, I think we've given our viewers a, a good sense of who you are as a human being and as, as a, a psychology professor and as a therapist. So thank you so much for being with oh, me. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be with you, Paul. And thank you for being with us. Thank you.